Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. This winter, Iceland snow tourism has emerged as a phenomenal-level internet sensation in China. From Harbin to Changbai Mountain, Shenyang to Hulunbeir, a significant influx of Chinese tourists is heading to the north, enthusiastically exploring enchanting winter landscapes. What has led to the sudden popularity of ice and snow tourism in China? Can this internet sensation transform into an enduring trend? Welcome to Road Today, the panel discussion with Mika Anna. We're coming to you from our studio in Beijing. In Harbin, the capital city of Heilongjiang, the winter magic is in full swing. Hot air balloons ascend above the Songhua River. An artificial moon graces the sky over Sofia Cathedral. All contribute to making the old industrial base an ultimate hotspot for ice and snow tourism this winter. According to recent statistics, Harbin experienced a remarkable 240% surge in tourism popularity during the three-day New Year holiday compared to the previous year. With over 3 million visitors recorded, the city achieved a historic peak in tourism revenue at $830 million. US dollars. The city's popularity is still on the rise, and the next peak expected to occur during the upcoming winter holidays. Is the spectacular rise of ice and snow tourism in northeast China merely a stroke of luck? What intriguing trends in Chinese cultural and tourism consumption are reflected by the successive emergence of Internet-famous cities? To delve into these questions, let's bring in Professor Chu Chang, Research Fellow from Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thanks for joining us, Professor. Hello, and Mario Kavlo, founder and CEO of M Communications Group and a senior fellow at Center for China and Globalization. Great to have you as always, Mario. Good evening from Shenyang. And Mike Basting, China Observer and a senior lecturer with the University of Southampton in the UK. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Mario, I have to kick off our conversation with you, considering you are currently residing in the northeast part of China, Shenyang. Could you please share with us how winter life is treating you there? Thanks so much. And I got to tell you that winter life um, is not something that I ever imagined in my life that I would actually say I enjoy it and that I got used to the cold weather because in my mind, growing up, you know, I just never liked the winter. We moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and like most people, we think we really love tropical warm areas, and mm. I never liked cold. But coming to the North six years ago really changed that for me, and it, it really surprises me. And this is the case with respect to Shenyang. You know, Shenyang is the capital of Liaoning, mm -hmm. and the wintertime life, you know, local people, Shenyang, Laobaixin, they're, they're used to it. So they don't uh, hibernate in their homes all winter long. People go out. You know, it's a different mindset to say, well, it's 10 below zero, but hey, let's go out. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just uh, not something that people do who normally want, you know, are wearing their bathing suits and hanging out at the beach, you know, mm -hmm. um, or Southern California, you know, where it's just nice, mild weather all year long. 
So we think that mild weather is is what we prefer, but then we've come to understand, no, no, no. And I think skiers know this better than anyone, right, as a wintertime sport. Uh, skiers look like a whole bunch of really happy people to me. And, you know, there it is, freezing cold up on the icy, snowy mountain, and they're skiing, and they, they look very, very happy, and they're active. And I learned that when you're active, when you're outside, when you're moving, you actually don't get cold, even when it's like 10 below zero. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, overall, all of this surprises me to learn that the wintertime lifestyle, the wintertime economy, which, you know, tonight, as we're speaking about, exists here in the Northeast from you know, all the way up through Harbin and Heilongjiang and all the way down here through Liaoning province in Shenyang. Um, and there's more details I'll share with you later in the show. Um, it really is a vibrant lifestyle. It really is a comfortable lifestyle. And I guess maybe real quickly, I'll mention this last point, the fact that winter in the north is here in China is dry. And so that does make a difference. There's not a lot of humidity. And I learned that in comparison to living in the South, comparison to living in the Shanghai basin mm -hmm. with Shanghai, Ningbo, you know, Suzhou, Hangzhou, where it's very humid. Um, I much prefer 10 below zero dry to five degrees when it's a bit more muggy and damp and wet in places like Shanghai and Hangzhou. I think that's a really difficult option for many of us, because Shanghai is also a beautiful city to explore. How about you, Mike? What reports on China's current hot ice and winter tourism have caught your attention, especially when comparing it to the winter thing in the UK? Well, I think the numbers, I think that the numbers have rocketed. I mean, let's, <clears throat> let's make it clear. I think it's just about the first time uh, since COVID that the certainly Chinese tourists and perhaps you know, wider field have really felt the real freedom of their winter their winter holidays without any fear of lock, let's hope no return to any sort of lockdowns or infections or any any spread even locally. So I think that that's a big factor. I think what's most exciting about this is the fact that it's more and more international. So what we're seeing with Harbin and um, surrounding areas, other parts of northwest China, ski resorts, bookings are up massively mm. internationally. So I think the international appeal of these the winter holidays and winter sports uh, is, is there, and they are seeing parts of China as very much on their radar, on the map for their, their winter snowboarding or skiing holiday. So that, that's the reports that I've seen in the, in the international yeah. press. So, you know, the figures speak for themselves, I think over 3 million visitors. I lived in China, lived in Beijing for seven years. So, mm -hmm. so I have been to the Harbin Ice Festival. It's spectacular. Uh, it attracts international um, uh, tourists, but I think more and more. So I think that, that for me is the, the, the really exciting thing. Okay, it's exciting for the Chinese economy that domestic consumption is there. And I think more people from South China now really see a trip to North China as a real cultural experience, but also that international flavor. And just to echo the points made previously, the fact that it is dry, I think, is a big factor as well. Mm -hmm. And you don't get the humidity also in the summer as well, I think, is a factor. So you know, we've got cold weather here in the UK, but when it's cold and it's wet, that's when you really, really don't like it really is not nice but when it's cold sunny but dry it's quite refreshing so the international i think um, appeal of harbin and other um, winter uh, holiday destinations 
on the international radar is really what I'm seeing. Professor Chu, have you ever experienced such winters in the northern regions、uh, in China? What local winter activities or popular attractions have left a lasting impression on you? Like, for example,、uh, we saw on the news the Harbin Ice Snow Road theme park, bath centers,、uh, morning markets, etc. Well, I'm very familiar with Harbin, and、uh, you know they have the Ice and Snow Festival.、Um, I've been there like since、uh, 15 years ago.、Yeah. It's amazing.、Uh, it's a fantastic trip.、Uh, I like the ice sculpture. I like all kinds of、uh, you know fun that you can have in the、uh, you know the amusement park made of all of ice and snow.、Uh, the sleigh, the skiing, and all these、uh, shows, the fireworks, and everything. But you know, 15 or 20 years ago,、uh, that kind of fun is basically targeting certain group of、uh, you know audience or tourists,、uh, the northerners or the the ice sports fan will go there for sure.、Um, it's more like a small fan club. Mm-hmm. And northern people like that, and a certain small group of southern people like that. We go there basically every,、uh, you know, one or two years.、Um, it's it's actually extremely cold, very very cold. Probably for the southerners, you wouldn't even imagine, or even for the northerners in America,、um, you probably or in Europe, you probably wouldn't imagine how cold it would that be. That's you know,、uh, that's a、uh, bone touching cold, you know, piercing cold. Mm-hmm. Even if you have like two,、uh, you know, sweatpants or like uh, three, uh, you know, sweaters, and even with a very very thick jacket out there, you're still gonna be chilling, and you can't help, cannot help yourself, you know, shaking your body because it's too too cold. So you、mm-hmm. need extra, you know,、uh, the garment. You need extra equipment to keep yourself warm. So not so many people would like that kind of、uh, fun unless you really know how to deal with the coldness. Unless you really are into that kind of sports and that kind of the fun, and then you'd be really you'd be you know you're gonna addicted to it.、Mm-hmm. And after like three hours out there in the open air, a crispy crystal cold air, and then you come back, get a very typical and classic Dongbei hot tub, get some massage, and then to get some you know really you know authentic Dongbei meal, very hot. Very, very good one, and then you are going to totally love that. It's going to be a very different, exotic experience in a winter that you can never experience in anything anywhere else in China or in anywhere of the world. And I think last year,、uh, the Winter Olympics, you know, spread the images of the snow home to everyone, and people get to know the island group, people get to know about the, you know, the winter sports, and you know, all kinds of the thing. So suddenly, people get the idea, maybe we can, you know, go there to, you know, take a take a look. And although there's another thing we mentioned frequently in、uh, recent, you know, shows、uh, that is called the the quality and the performance economy work. We call it the good deal economy. So、mm. many people are attracted by you know the low price, very affordable price by the、uh, the Dongbei region, like in Harbin, like in Shenyang,、uh, like in Changchun. So very good quality of food, very very you know big quantity of、uh, you know all kinds of the services, but、uh, you know the price are very very reasonable. So people get attracted to there. So first of all, people get attracted by this affordability and quality of services and food and tourism, and then people find out, wow, this is beyond my imagination. This is actually something I never experienced. You know the The eyes, the snow, that this totally different and exotic views of the nature, and so this give you a you know a double、uh, hit on your heart, and then 
people find out the local people are so passionate, so friendly. People yeah. are so, you know, keen to, you know, give you a good experience in here. So there's like a triple hit on your heart. So people fall in love with this uh, tourism and the people, you know, mouse words are spreading and one, one to 10, 10 to 100 and now become trending in all over China and the world. That really a vivid picture you have depicted. Uh, Mario, I think you want to weigh in on this. Compared to previous years, when a large number of tourists in China flocked to the uh, southern parts of China, for example, Hainan, to enjoy the sea breeze and sunshine, it seems that this winter people are more inclined towards the ice and snow world, as we discussed, the incredible surge in winter yeah. tourism across yeah. China. Yeah. Now, how do you interpret the factors contributing to the substantial surge in popularity of Harbin. Yeah, I I really uh, took notice of Professor Chung's comments. I hadn't thought about uh, the situation the way he described it. He's, he, he really did vividly describe it and accurately describe it, which is this point that, you know, you come here and it's freezing cold, it's 10 below zero and people are out skiing and running around in the ice and the snow and people are happy and and the the characteristic of people in the north is that uh is very different than the south and central and and west sichuan you know people are different all over china and that's mm -hmm. the case in many countries and up here people are very friendly and down to earth they're very quick to become friendly with you uh to invite you to eat to have a meal whatever it is and it's a very uh it's a nice feeling um, when you come here and and you meet these people who who are this way, and then, actually, Professor Chung mentioned a really interesting point. One of the phenomenon that's, I think, I just got a handle on why this is happening. We're post pandemic, and let's all be honest, right? That was a rough period, right? I mean, that was a rough three years, and it was a rough three years for the whole world, not just China. No matter how well China did with it, we China did extremely well with it. We saved millions of lives. It was very organized. We spent a lot less time in lockdown than most countries, but still, it was rough. It, it really changed the world, and it changed this country. And part of that, I think, uh, I think middle class households. Let me say that some middle class households and and small and middle small and medium sized businesses, retail businesses. I think a lot of them got hurt. A lot of them lost money. Right? They 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 weren't open for three years. They ran out of money. They ran through their money. Um, so perhaps we could say there's less money floating around. Okay. Now, if that's the case, but then guess what else is going on? Hainan Island became wonderfully popular. Well, guess what? It also became a lot more expensive. And Shenzhen and Guangzhou, relative to places like Shenyang and Harbin and Changchun, are, I'd say, at least twice as expensive, mm -hmm. if not even more. And Shanghai, places like Shanghai, um, Hangzhou... Beijing. Well, we don't talk about Beijing because it's already in the north. People would say, well, we're going to flock south and go down to Shenzhen or Hong Kong or, or uh, Guangzhou. But guess what? It's a lot more expensive down there. By the way, it's not as expensive as the United States. We were just back in the United States for one month. And it, the United States is seven times more expensive than Dongbei, where we live. That's the number that I would put on it. The United States is just so expensive where we were in Southern California. So I wonder that that's part of it. It's people like, hey, wait a minute. 
Let's go north to Harbin. Let's go to the ice city. Let's go to Shenyang and go to the Shenyang's the king of spas, spas and bathhouses all over Shenyang. And they're a wonderful, amazing experience. Well, guess what? You can go to a spa all day in Shenyang for like 15 US dollars for like 50 RMB, 100 RMB. And you're in this beautiful five-star spa all day long, like in a five-star hotel. But it doesn't cost 50 to $100. It only costs like $15 because you're here in Dongbei. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I think people are looking at their budgets and going, hey, wait a minute. Uh, it's uh, it's expensive to go south. Wow, it's a lot less expensive to go north, to go up into Dongbei, up into Heilongjiang. Let's do that. And then they arrive there and they're staying in beautiful hotels for 300 RMB a night instead of 1,000 RMB a night. I think that's part of it as well. Indeed. Mike, previous panelists mentioned the affordability and friendly attitude from the local citizens. What's your take? What unique features, in your opinion, make it so appealing to visitors? Well, I think I echo that. I mean, my experience in China, and obviously I'm there a lot as well. Uh, we lived there for seven years, been, been, been visiting and staying there for over 30, is that um, I don't think we should isolate the north and the northeast. I think that the country and the culture generally is just very, very friendly. It's part of the DNA. It's just a very warm, welcoming culture that probably is the main reason why it attracts so many people, including myself, um, but particularly in the north and the northeast. I think what I would add is that the, the, the winter sports have become even more popular now. So snowboarding, skiing, I think that's really become certainly for middle class China. And that's a real growing number, as we know, hundreds of millions. It's really seen as part of their their sort of lifestyle now, a winter holiday, a skiing, snowboarding holiday. And obviously, Dongbei, northeast China, perhaps part of, parts of northwest China, Harbin in particular, and those surrounding areas are hotspots for that activity. So I, I think it, it's also the, the, the culture. I think there's been a lot of investment both from central government and, I think I know that, central government and local government in infrastructure as well. Uh, I think that's paying off across China as well. So it's not just value for money hotels, but hotels which are much, much, um, uh, the, the service is better, the quality is, is, is better. And, and that takes time. The service sector normally lags behind manufacturing, but, but that hasn't. Um, continued now. So I think that there's a change there in the service sector and mm -hmm. the delivery uh, and, and also the natural friendliness um, and also the fact that these, these sports, these winter sports are now part of the middle class China's lifestyle, which, which they are very much here. Just about everybody I know has a winter holiday, either snowboarding or skiing in this country. And increasingly, they will look, I think, to to China for that. Professor Chu, you all mentioned the hospitality of the locals, how warm and friendly, because the local government in Harbin also implemented measures to enhance the travel experiences, such as giving southern visitors a nickname called Little Potatoes and transforming the city's subway into a free shuttle and uh, also writing thanks letters to all these visitors. They called this kind of spoiling a traveler's approach. So how have these measures impact the overall tourist experiences, in your opinion? Well, it reminds me, when I was in America, um, there are some uh, town, very good town, Oak Town. Um, they have the carnivals, uh, very traditional, like every once a year, or like a fireman. Um, so everybody will be part of it. Uh, you are the local man. You are uh, the host and hostess. But also, uh, you know, you are part of this, uh, you know, festival. 
So in Harbin, it's turned into like that kind of situation. So in the whole city right now turned into a, a citywide carnival. Everybody is part of it. You know, normal citizens, government, you know, uh, public service people like firemen and policemen, everybody are, you know, um, spontaneously try to shoulder their own responsibility, try to watch over uh, each other's shoulder and try to provide services to the, you know, outsiders, to the, uh, to the, you know, outside, uh, you know, tourists. Because it's been so long since the city, very historic city, very beautiful city seen so many tourists and providing them the real deal good business it's like uh, six billion chinese yuan is almost like uh, you know one billion us dollar within three days so this is we call it the huge downpour of the money into one city so everybody has been mobilized so uh, you probably would know that in china well i think we have one of the uh, very special thing is that uh, once the government try to mobilize the resources to provide the services it acts very, very quickly. Just take a look mm. at the current uh, you know, earthquake. Yes. Uh, very unfortunately, we have earthquake back in China, in Gansu province. But at the same time, they have the earthquake. It happened in Japan as well. But if you can you know, uh, watch all kinds of the footage of the report, you find out the Chinese services and the disaster relief came to the site probably within the three hours when the accident or incident just happened. And immediately... Everything was ready, and the food was in their hands, and all the tents are out there in the open air. So when Chinese government try to mobilize the resources, they really are, you know, quick responders. They act very, very swiftly and quickly. So Harbin, you know, is another example, but it was a good deal. It's like, you know, they've been welcoming the guests, mm -hmm. celebrating this holiday. It's more like a carnival lasted for more than like two or three months. So... Everybody's been mobilized. It's like an orchestra. So if you go there, it's like uh, there is an invisible hand, but also visible hand in there. Everybody knows what they need to do. You know, you will see a lot of volunteer drivers try to pick up, you know, the Southerners, uh, tourists for free. Nobody asks them to do that. They're just government to say, hey, this is our own city. Let's defend our city. Let's show the most glorious part of our city and our people to, you know, the tourists. Let's do it, man. And then everybody is mobilized. I think this is, uh, this is more than just a government. It's more like, uh, you know, the local people's personality or characteristic. You know, the Dongbei people are like that. Very, you know, uh, you know, passionate, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, friendly to the outsiders and uh, very frank. So um, I think it reflected very perfectly about how the city is. And I would like to add another one is it's just a more than harbin. I think the whole uh, Heilongjiang province, as well as Liaoning province and Jilin province, uh, they are very similar. And also other government, for example, the government in Liaoning province, you know, uh, in Jilin province is adjacent to provinces, provided lots of lots of help. They didn't say, OK, I'm going to be jealous of you. I'm going uh, to try a lot of things to grab more of the uh, tourists back into my provinces. No, they didn't think of that way. They think, okay, uh, my neighbor right now is putting on the party. Let's see what we can do to help them. And mm -hmm. then they provided all kinds of the performers, actor, actresses, and uh, you know, hospitality infrastructures, you know, firework shows, you know, everything. So put together, so it shows that China is not only a country, you know, big in economy, but also China is a country full of passion, you know, and friendliness. Mm -hmm. We are seeking for win-win cooperation and a win-win result. Yeah, exactly. 
Thanks, gentlemen. You've been listening to Road Today, the panel discussion on China's ice and snow tourism boom. After the break, we'll continue our discussion. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Road Today, the panel discussion on China's ice and snow tourism boom. We are joined by Professor Chu Qiang, research fellow from Beijing Foreign Studies University, Mario Cablo, founder and CEO of M Communications Group, and a senior fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and Mike Basting, China observer and a senior lecturer with the University of Southampton in the UK. Let's continue our discussion, Mario. We've been talking about the local. Government's strategic approach, which is called spoiling tourists, which also has left a deep impression on many visitors to the region, to Harbin and to the Heilongjiang province. Could you please give us some of your perspective on this? How can such strategy or value contribute to the overall satisfaction of visitors? This was a, another really interesting point that caught my attention. That. We look at tourism、um, in other countries, and we can recognize a couple of different things. You know, the United States market, for example, this is a very mature market, right? The United States began emerging as a leading country, you know, 80 years ago, I guess, say post World War II. Along with that, we can look at Europe, and specifically, what I have in my mind is Italy, because you know, look at Italy. Italy is the number one, literally, right? It's literally the number one tourist destination of the world. I mean, it's an amazing destination, and you know, Italian food and Chinese food are the two most favorite foods in the whole world. Okay, so what do we actually realize when we stop and think about these markets and compare them to China? Well, China is a baby. China is brand new. It's crazy that China became a global superpower and has expanded to the level it is right now in such a short period of time. You know, only really this last, say, 30 years.、Uh, that's a very unusual thing. So, in terms of having an integrated tourism structure. China doesn't have that mentality yet. You know how? In other words, how long has Italy, and all of its providers, all of its leisure providers, been providing the tourism experience of coming to Italy to people, to tourists? And the answer is for you know decades. So they've got it down to a science. And you could say the same thing about Southern California in America. You know, when you go to America and you go to Southern California, Disneyland, Disney World, Sea World, all of that. Um, you have this really integral experience. You have an extremely mature market. You have a mature tourism boards, culture and tourism boards, who promote, who are already integrate, have already integrated the local community into the experience for tourists when they arrive. You go into business stores, and everywhere you, it, it's an integrated experience. And then. I think the greatest example would be Florida in the United States. Well, when you go down to Disney World in Florida in Orlando, that whole city is geared toward tourists, and it's such a mature and integrated experience everywhere you go. So that's I'm referring to this、uh, kind of cooperation and integration that that Professor Chung mentioned. And for 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 Harbin for China, this is all pretty new. 
you know, this is not a mature market for, for tourism. Everyone's still learning as they go. Uh, for example, here in Shenyang, um, I can give credit to Harbin for its ice city, because here in Shenyang, we've got a couple of little mini ice cities. You know, the, the famous uh, Olympic Stadium area here in Shenyang, the Aoti Zhongxin, uh, for, the, for the Beijing Olympics, where events were held here. And we happen to live about one kilometer away from the Aoti Zhongxin Olympic Stadium here in Huinan. And it's a huge, beautiful complex. And well, what do they do with it in the wintertime? It's about one square kilometer of city block. It's a beautiful, huge area. And they do the same thing Harbin does. They turn it into a winter wonderland. And it is a beautiful place to go and hang out for the evening uh, or the whole day. And they have some you know, intermediate size ski hills and tubing and sledding hills. Um, and lots of lights and design. And what I've noticed about, they've had it every year for the last four or five years. And every year it gets better and better and better. It gets more organized. It gets more, and they get their savvy, their smarts in realizing, hey, here's how we make it a better experience for the visitors. Here's how we make it a better experience for the tourists. And I noticed this year, there's a lot of upgrades. You know, it's just, it's really much more organized and well done in detail and that really does make a visit a difference for visitors whether those visitors are local laobaixin you know because mm -hmm. uh, we're going to go there this weekend um, and we're local or whether those visitors are tourists so china has really come a long way that's the that's the bottom line i'll stop there uh, Mike, what's your take? How do you look at the measures from the local government and its impact on visitors? Because I know many small cities or small towns in Britain are also using their uniqueness to attract tourists uh, like winter gala, garden competition, etc. How do you look at their measures? I think they're very significant. I think I said this at the start of the discussion. I think both central and local government have realized that this is a real opportunity. So cultural tourism, cultured tourism, if that's the right phrase, can really boost consumption, especially when we see, uh, even post-pandemic, a sluggish recovery. Obviously, the Chinese economy is doing much better than most other economies around the world. Uh, and we're still looking at a reasonable GDP, but, but it's not quite what it was. So domestic consumption is really uh, the focus and, and tourism and cultured tourism. And local government really has a, a part to play here in promoting this and investing in this, uh, in promotions uh, and encouraging uh, promotions via social media. I've noticed that. Obviously, mm -hmm. social media in China is very, very influential and very, very uh, noticeable. And things take off very quickly. So I think that's played a big part in it. And I think local government and central government have contributed there. I think also, I think the point needs to be made that no matter how much you promote something and invest in something, it's only really going to be successful and sustainably successful if it really satisfies a, a sort of underlying need or changing need. And I think this brings me back to, to my sort of main research focus, where I think Chinese people, even people outside China, are looking for um, a little slice of local culture, local heritage as part of their identity. It means so much, always has meant a lot to them, perhaps even more than it did. So I think that's the experience. Even people from South China want to find out a little bit about their national sort of local subcultures north of where they come from. So, so I think that's really where the local government have understood that that is a real need, needs a bit of investment, needs a bit of promoting social media, and that's why it's taken off.
Mike, could you please elaborate more on the role of social media? Because social media buzzed with topics like frozen pier, ice and snow, road discord, and overnight at the bathhouse associated with Harbin. How have these social media trends contributed to the city's popularity, and what role does online presence play in attracting tourists overall? Well, very, very significant online presence. I mean, my, my sort of um, industry focus, as you know, is, is fashion and related sectors, and, and obviously in China, you know, fashion trends and, and fashion news travels very quickly across social media. So we're obviously talking about the obvious: WeChat, Weixin, Xiaohongshu, Douyin, Bilibili, Huaishou, etc. Very, very significant, more significant perhaps than, than other countries where it's, social media is still very, very important. So I think it has contributed hugely. And if you get one or two bloggers, one or two influencers who tap into this and, and promote these uh, destination brands, these tourist brands, destination cities, then you, you're really on uh, a winner. So I think it's absolutely vital. I mean, that nothing, no, no brand really sells very well unless. It travels well via social media, particularly in China, and particularly with younger generations, who are now、uh, perhaps more adventurous.、Uh, they want holidays that are not quite the norm. They want to go off the beaten track, off the piste, bad pun,、uh, and don't want an organised trip. And I think that's fueling、uh, more tourism activity and a slightly different adventurous、uh, tourist. So, so yes,、yeah, so the obvious Xiaohongshu in particular. Social media channels are very, very important, and I think that's that's really got to be noted. And I think local government and central government appreciate that. So, yeah,、mm. very, very influential. You can't really overstate how influential Chinese social media has been here in spreading the word、uh, and making it into a sort of a trendy activity. You know? But again, only because people, I think, really value this activity as part of their their cultural identity more. I think you know, we, we shouldn't overlook that. Indeed, Professor Chu, what's your thoughts on the influence of social media on the city's appeal today in China? Yeah, I think social media actually played a very important role in this round of、uh, trending urban、uh, tourism. And I don't think it, well. I think Maria mentioned a very valuable point of view.、Um, that is, I think Harbin, you know, it's been a、uh, walking and、uh, you know seeing and learning. Because、uh, if you、uh, if you know the fundamentals of uh, northern, uh, northeastern China, you will know this is never a place famous for being a tourist destination. Well, this is the heavy industry center of China. It's more like suddenly one day you find on Twitter or you find on Facebook that someone are yelling, "Hey, I found a place! I found、uh, Detroit or Tennessee. It's really a fun <laughs> place. Let's go there!"、Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody's getting, you know, curious. How the hell, you know, like Tennessee, Idaho, or Detroit, is going to be, you know, very good for the tourism, and it's going to be fun. So people get lured about the curiosity, and、mm-hmm. you know, people turn on all kinds of social media. Like in China, we have the little red book.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we have,、uh, you know, Weibo. We have,、uh, you know, a, a TikTok Chinese version, and then the words has been out. It's more like a And、the the messages are going viral, and、uh, everybody are seeing it.、Uh, something is beyond their understanding.、Um, you know, my students、uh, from the south they tell me, "Well,、uh, I, I'm a Chinese for like 20 years, but I never know China is so big, and I definitely never can imagine 
that in another part of China that a big pot of the chicken only sells like five dollars. <laughs> This is beyond your imagination. And a hotel will only cost you like fifty dollars a night. And also, you know, potato a big、uh, pot of potato only costs you like、uh, you know one dollar or two. So it's beyond their imagination. They say I gotta go there no matter how cold is. <laughs> It is, and how industrial, you know, style it is. And after they go there, they see another picture, like I mentioned, a three, you know, like triple hit on、mm-hmm. their heart. And then people, you know, get shaken by what they see and experience. They cannot wait to tell people. So then they started the second round of the you know publicity of here. So actually, the hotness of this、uh, trending tourism phenomenon actually started at the.、Uh, At the end of the December, actually, the first round of the students and young people just go there individually by themselves.、Uh, there's no,、uh, you know, kind of the message, pre-message of,、uh, at all. They just go there just to try,、uh, you know, some somewhere they heard from their just friends or、uh, classmates. And then the second round actually started at the end of the December and early of the January of this year, and then it became nationwide and now global wide. And just trust me. If you are no no matter where you are right now, you're hearing the show, and、um, just to grab an air ticket to fly here, it's visa free. And to come here, you only will spend like one hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. You are gonna have a crazy and great fun day. So why、yeah. not have a try? So a、yeah. lot of people know about this、uh, situation, and they heard about this on social media, and definitely social media played a very important role in here. Not only this time, but also、uh, first half of the year in Zibo. Uh, the city, also another industrial、mm-hmm. city, get famous because of local barbecue,、mm-hmm. and then it also becomes a great success in a tourism destiny. Mario, because speaking of building a city's brand image、uh, through internet or social media platforms,、uh, that reminds me the selection of the 2023 buzzwords in China we talked about earlier. Hustle in Zibo, the barbecue city mentioned by Professor Chu, and、uh, the Chunqiao football game, the village super league, both of them. Have risen to prominence and gained popularity nationwide through social media, becoming the so-called internet famous city. How would you evaluate the prevailing trend of internet sensation in China? You know, it really is is quite interesting, and I'd like to see Shenyang figure out how to get themselves on the map in that regard. I was just thinking when you mentioned the other two examples, the village、uh, games and the.、Uh, Zibo, the barbecue Zibo city. Zibo barbecue, yeah. yeah. Here in Shenyang, for example,、uh, the foreign community is even getting involved in winter sports more prominently this year.、Uh, there's going to be a big、uh, ice curling tournament. The premier、uh, hotel property in the city is the Conrad, and it's gorgeous. It's in the lobby of the hotel here in Shenyang is on the 88th floor. It's one of the highest. Hotel lobbies in five-star hotel lobbies in the world. It's it's really magnificent. And it's right here in Shenyang. What a great thing to come and visit. And with at the Conrad, the European and American and German chambers, and we all know BMWs up here. So there's a substantial European and German community in particular.、Um, they're the biggest contributor to the local economy here in Shenyang, and they're famous worldwide.、Um, The foreign community—they're getting together and doing a winter sports ice curling tournament, and I'd like to see—and I don't know if it is yet on in, on the internet and on social media—but I, I really would like to see Shenyang catch up、um, in this respect and take advantage of 
that opportunity where the power of the internet is there and it's real. And China's social media is completely, is so unique. You know, one of the funny things about Chinese social media, and it, I don't I'm, I don't have any desire to talk about politics tonight, of course, but, you know, in the West, people say, oh, people in China don't aren't, can't criticize the government or they don't criticize the government. And I laugh, I, I just laugh because I go, oh, you haven't been on Chinese social media. That's because it's in Mandarin and you don't know. There's lots of people in Chinese social media complaining and whining about this and that, that they wish the government would do this and that, you know. And it so Chinese social media is a very vibrant and passionate place. Uh, and of course, back to the positive point that in this case, uh, it is helping create these amazing uh, economic these these amazing economic stories that are rooted in being culture and lifestyle stories. But. Mario, the surge in online traffic, we know, is a double-edged sword, right? Providing cities with new possibilities in cultural tourism through social media, but also raising concerns about potential issues and negative impacts. Many cities fear that the transient fame of being an internet-famous destination potentially fitting into obscurity as the, you know, the initial incitement wears off. So how do you assess these challenges brought by the surge in online traffic? Can this internet sensation transform into an enduring trend? Sure. You know, the, the initial unexpected rise puts you on the map. Okay, this happens to people who have their, you know, also as even as an individual person, you might suddenly get your moment of fame in the media, right? Or if you're a music band and you get a hit record that's number one, and well, guess what? Now you're in trouble. <laughs> now that everybody knows about you, now that you're famous, do you have a follow up? Do you have any more substance? And this is what will determine for the long term whether or not you can make it last. And in this respect, cities, municipalities can already look to other models of success where I, you know, I mentioned some international models where you can if, if I was if I was a new city and wanted to know how to do tourism, what, what would I do? I'd, I would immediately go and immediately identify top 10 cities all over the world who do tourism really, really well. And then I would find out what it is that they're doing. And then I'd figure out which of those things that they're doing that we can do and implement in our city. That's what I would do. You go to the successful models mm -hmm. so that you can make it long lasting and sustainable, right? Uh, Mike, what's your take? How do you look at the challenges brought by this surge in online traffic? And what do you think about how cities sustain their fame? I think Mario is right. I think that, that initial surge is something that um, <clears throat> could easily wane. Uh, I think there is a, there's a real threat there. I, I think I'm pretty optimistic. I think, um, echoing what I said before, I, I don't think this is just a temporary phase. I don't think this is something that, uh, for example, Chinese consumers from, from other parts of China are doing just as a, a novelty, something that's a bit sort of frivolous and new and different, or let's go, let's do this. And I think it's about experiencing um, Chinese subculture, local geographical culture, and also um, sports tourism and, and athleisure. These trends, I think, are here to stay. So I, I think I think the demand will still be there, but it will need uh, a sort of like a, a burst, shall we say, of online promotion and chat and 
it needs a continued drip feed of that. So I think that the local government and also the, the, the private sector and infrastructure uh, parties involved in Harbin and other related um, nearby areas need to work together to maintain that social media presence. Most of them, so very careful social media promotion and planning in a drip capacity to remind rather than perhaps just sort of um, enlighten and inform the consumers to return again is necessary. But, but I don't see that being being a, a problem giving those underlying driving forces behind it. So, so social media marketing and promoting in a continued, quieter, perhaps planned way, picking out key social media influencers, I think is key to sustaining this. But, but I'm sure that can, you know, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Professor Chu, from an economic point of view, uh, can this um, phenomenon level internet sensation transform into a sustainable impulse into the local economy? Well, I, I do think so. Uh, there is one uh, good factor and there is another uncertain factor about this. One good factor is that actually the northeastern China, uh, the Dongbei provinces, have great potential. Everybody say this is only for one moment like three months then winter people are getting you know mm-hmm. so fresh about it so people came here uh but no actually not uh if you come here in the summer you know everywhere in china summer is very very hot but here in Dongbei of china it's very it's, very cool they have huge forests. Yeah, yes it's like montana yes. that's like a it's so beautiful um you can get here get fishing you can hiking you camping there's lots of possibilities so I think uh, Dongbei in China is like a treasure house waiting to be found further. So I think they have a great potential. And local people are very humorous. They are really outgoing, uh, like what we call their E person, you know, very yeah. outgoing, um, uh, you know, very like uh, very much to, you know, uh, embrace the uh, uh, the tourists. So I think this is an advantage. But another thing I think it's uncertain here is like uh, like Mario just mentioned, they still are in what we call the tourism 1.0 version. They are not a you know tourism destiny. So they do not have all kinds of this kind of uh, you know preparation, mature business model and everything. So right now I think one of the great point for uh, Dongbei for Harbin to get hot is that the people everywhere here, local people and the government are improvising. They try their best to welcome everyone, embrace them by being themselves. They're, everyone is an actor and actress right now. They're improvising. So people love to see something different from the traditional, you know, matured, formalized model of tourism. And people like to see here the people, the local people, the local faces and the local personality in everything. This is good, but also can you keep that in the long run? When next year, when you get used to this kind of flood of people, tourists, are, can you still stay the same with your original heart, with, you know, this kind of a very pure business model? And uh, would you resist the urge to upgrade to another end of tourism, for example, to get the, you know, become a tourism cartel, to formalize everything, to become a huge Disneyland, everybody, you know, become very commercialized? Would you hold the urge or can you evolve into something else? Very big, very well prepared, but also stay true to yourself and stay true to a mm. tourist. I think mm. that is the reason and that is the factor will determine the long term vitality 
and the prosperity of the local tourist market. Then Professor Harbin, as one of the major cities in the northeast part of China, how do you foresee this affecting the overall revitalization of northeast China? Well, northeastern China right now, I think they have already made uh, you know frog leap forward uh, you know progress. For example, many you know high tech companies are right now lo- uh, locating in the northeastern China. So this old industrial Uh, you know, base of China right now has been, you know, revitalized already in the sense of industry. But the thing is, how can they, you know, attract more of the young people, the vitality, fresh blood into this region? Because still young people are, you know, are by numbers, they're leaving uh, this region. So I think this trend will bring back young people, you know, to revitalize the whole community from the grassroots level. And then eventually they will turn into something Good. And I've been seeing this trend has already been starting because, you know, um, there is some early bloggers, the bloggers, uh, they come to, you know, uh, uh, Heilongjiang to some small town like Hegang because of the low house prices in here. Some are sailors. They do not have a you know fixed home and they do not know where they can, you know, uh, you know, set up their own home in China when they get off the board. And now they found the northeastern China. Very small, very comfy, very low priced. So many, many young people like them are coming back to northeastern China, and I think this tourism, you know, in uh, you know, this tourism phenomenon trending in hotness right now will accelerate this trend. So more people will know, hey, China is big. China have more choices, more than just Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai. You can come to northeastern China. You can go to the west, northwestern China, and more choices are waiting for you. And this country is amazing. Mario, briefly, do you think the popularity of Harbin could serve as an opportunity for the revitalization of Northeast China? Well, it certainly does. And we know that three months ago, a lot of this, I think, might also be driven because three months ago, uh, there was a big government meeting in Harbin, and none other than Xi Jinping himself formally announced that he expects uh, and now wants to focus on the revitalization of the whole Northeast region. So I think that, you know, everybody's gotten their marching orders to get it together. And I want to end on telling you a really amazing local story uh, because we've got uh, our son goes to QSI International School here in Shenyang. And uh, as an example of, some, of, of, a, of a school with local students, um, adjusting their wintertime plan, can you imagine they combined... Uh, PE classes. So, you know, everybody has PE classes in elementary schools. They combined PE classes together to have them on a Friday afternoon. So now the school on the in the afternoon on Friday, the kids go skiing at the nearby ski resort wow. for two and a half hours because it's only half an hour away. So imagine, you know, kids being in a school and being able to go skiing as part of their, you know, weekly PE class instead of just doing jumping jacks and push-ups and sit-ups. You know, so again, uh, a great story about what life can, how how nice life can be here uh, in the wintertime region, the northeast region, the Dongbei region of China. Thanks, Mario, and thanks to all of our panelists for sharing and your insightful analysis. That was Professor Chu Chang, research fellow from Beijing Foreign Studies University, Mario Kavlo, founder and CEO of M Communications Group, and a senior fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and Mike Basting, China observer and a senior lecturer with the University of Southampton in the UK. That's all the time for this edition of Road Today with Mika Anna. Thank you again for listening. Bye for now.